welcome from zero to hero. I'm Craig from Inspired Mindset, where we talk all things mental health and addictions. And welcome to another episode of Zero to Hero, where we talk all things mental health and addictions. And today we have the lovely guest, Brittany, all the way from Utah. Uh, welcome, Brittany. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So we'll, we'll dive straight into what I normally ask our, our guests is, how was your childhood? Was it a, a positive one or did you have a bit of a negative childhood? Yeah, I had a really negative experience um, in my childhood. I actually um, took my ACE score, um, you know, the adverse childhood experiences. I scored a nine out of 10. So that's very high. Um, you know, so I definitely had a very negative childhood. Um, I had a lot of trauma. My dad was a typical angry, drunk, you know, alcoholic. My mom was, um, codependent. Um, you know, I, uh, would try to go to her about, um, you know, my struggles or, you know, my concerns with my dad. Um, but I would just either get dismissed or the problem would just be minimized. Um, you know, so I, you know, and I always was kind of the, the scapegoat as well. Um, I, I realized that after my parents had got divorced, it was kind of weird how I came by that. I read the, uh, uh, adult children's of alcoholics book um, as a teenager, when my parents were getting divorced and me and my sister were kind of reading it and we both went, oh, when we seen the scapegoat and I was like, that's me. And she was like, yeah, that is you. You know, I was like, yeah, I, you know, I was just the scapegoat. I took all the, I, you know, I took all the blame for everything that was going on in the family and I was, you know, not treated well at all. Yeah. That sounds so. like a difficult period. And and so you're the oldest, um, oldest child in your family. I am. Yeah, yeah. It was just me and my sister, um, my little sister, she's five years younger than me. And I kind of took care of her, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what age, what age bracket was this happening when you were getting the, you know, the pressure from your father and being the scapegoat? Um, you know, it started when I turned about 13. Um, once I turned about 13, um, it went all the way till I was, well, till he died, which was last year. (laughs) So it started by the time I was 13, you know, everything was my fault and, you know, my, my parents were fighting and it was my fault, you know, and he had told me that when I was younger than that, but I really turned into the scapegoat once I became a teenager. Yeah. So and how was that affecting your schooling and your uh, friendships and just your gentle, uh, your general well-being? Oh, it's it's affected every aspect of my life. I I never really realized how messed up. Well, I don't want to say messed up, but how traumatized I was. You know, because that's a that's a better way of putting it. How traumatized I was until um, you know his death. Um, you know, because at the time of his death, me and my sister were trying to uh, press charges on him. And, you know, he died before the, anything could even really happen with it. So it was really, really hard on me. Yeah. Yep. 
And, and so you were going to school at this stage and um, how was your schooling going? When I was 13? Yeah, yep. I actually, I had a lot of hard um, struggles in school. Um, you know, I, I kind of just got by, you know, I just kind of passed classes as well as I could. Um, you know, I, I did fail a lot of my classes back in junior high and stuff when it really started getting bad. Um, I had to do a lot of makeup classes and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've always struggled ac academically um, with that. And we, um, we rebelling as a child, like in the your teenage years, were you drinking or partying, or you kind of like it was a bit strict at home, you couldn't go out. Um, yes, I, <laughs> I was the only one between me and my sister actually that really rebelled because I rebelled really hard. You know, um, I would steal my dad's cigarettes. I would drink. Um, I would go slough, which means skip school. <laughs> in in like my trailer that I had at my house and I'd go smoke cigarettes in there when I was supposed to be in school so I yeah I definitely rebelled hardcore um you know I I, I did run away um a few times um you know and that I mean I never like snuck out but I did r run away and how is your mental health? Were we getting depression or anxiety? Did you were experiencing this during your teenage years, or you didn't kind of understand what that was? Um, yes, I, uh, I did. I, I definitely started showing really um, strong signs of depression once I turned around fourteen, and I started like cutting myself. Um, I still have the scars from it. I have a lot of scars. Um, I started cutting myself and my mom took me into the doctor and they had put me on like Wellbutrin, um, but it didn't really, it didn't help at all. Um, and I remember that I, I didn't feel better at all. And I don't think I was on it very long. I think I was only on it for a few weeks. Um, and then I think once I was about... 15 years old, I actually attempted suicide. Um, and I was in the ICU for, I think about, it's so blurry because I was so out of it, but I, I'm thinking I was in the ICU for about 24 hours. Um, so it was a pretty serious attempt. Um, you know, it was, it was really scary. That's one of the things I, I'm gonna have to work through in my EMDR. That was really traumatic as well. Thinking at that stage, how were you feeling? Like, what was the what was the end result going to be? Was it just going to be a release of pain, or was it a cry out for help? How, how were you thinking during this period? You know, I I really did want to die. Um, when they brought in the social worker to ask me what my intentions were, I lied and told her I didn't really want to because I didn't want to stay there anymore after I got stable. Um, so I did lie and say that the, you know, oh, I just, you know, I, I really didn't want to die, but I, I really did, you know, I really did. And obviously it was a very serious attempt. Um, and my mindset was, you know, I can't take this anymore. Like I can't live this way anymore. You know, if this is life, then I don't want any part of it. 
So, yeah, it was yeah. really traumatic. Sounds, yeah, it does. It sounds very traumatic. And I've had a similar experience when, um, with suicide thoughts where every cell and fiber um, is screaming at you just to end it. And um, so there's, there's kind of like where you want that um, help, you're screaming at the help. And there's also that time when you, it's genuine, it's real and it's, yeah, it's very traumatic. So I can kind of understand where you're coming from with that. And just going back a bit with the uh, cutting, how, why would, how was that working out for you? Was that a, a release or pressure or, yeah, can you explain to the listeners how that was going through in your mind? Um, so, yeah, I, that's actually what I kind of felt like it was, was that it was a release of extreme um, emotional pain that I couldn't express, um, you know, because my emotions were shut down, you know. Um, my parents, both of them, really shut down my emotions, especially my mom. Um, you know, she'll never admit to it, <laughs> but she did. You know, she very, she was extremely dismissive. You know, she um, <clears throat> was very, uh, very much in denial about what was going on. Um, you know, so anytime I would try to just voice my concern or voice my pain, it was immediately shut down. So I felt yeah, that that was the only way I could really express my pain was through the cutting. And, you know, she, she thought that I was doing it to her and my dad both um, thought that I was doing it to be manipulative. Again, the scapegoat, you know, I was scapegoated for that as well. Um, because I was in such emotional pain from the toxicity of my parents, that, you know, I was being you know, scapegoated as well for doing what I felt as a teenager or as a child that I had to do in order to express my pain. I had a really hard time um, opening up to, especially other adults, um, you know, like I told my friends when I was doing that and, you know, they told me, hey, go see the school counselor, go see the school counselor, you know, and a, a few of my friends did push me to go see my school counselor and I did you know, and she told my mom and that's how my mom found out, you know, she's like, I have to tell your mom, I'm sorry, you know, and so that's kind of how she found out and stuff. But I think I, I think I also did tell my aunt, um, you know, because my aunt was one of the people that I, like the, uh, one of the adults, one of the only adults I felt that I could trust. And I do remember telling her as well. So, but yeah, I had a really hard time trusting adults. Um, yeah. very very difficult time especially as you know a kid trusting adults yeah definitely. i just thought they were all that way yeah for sure and had, did you, have you found that's gone on to your adult like into your adulthood trusting others they have to yes some, yeah. yeah absolutely 100 percent. yes um you know i have a really hard time with men in authoritative like authoritarian um positions you know, I know that everybody gets like nervous when they get pulled over and stuff like that. But my reaction to it is like very over the top. <laughs> you know, like I get very panicked. I get very, you know, just like, oh, the world's going to end. You know, I'm, you know, I just, I don't trust. I'm like, oh, he's going to, you know, haul me off to jail. I'm going to get shot. You know, just all these things just run through my brain. So, and I've noticed that. Um, you know, and I, I'm really trying to work on that. Um, 
you know, I, I have a few close friends. Um, but, you know, again, it, it is hard for me to reach out even to those friends because I have a hard time trusting people. Um, you know, I was diagnosed with PTSD and, you know, I, I have all of the criteria for it. You know, I do the isolation, you know, I have a hard time trusting people. I cut myself off from others, you know, just all of that. Yeah. I love how you said that, um, that you've noticed that you had an issue with trusting men, um, in authority and that, uh, that's something you worked on. Um, I think when we go through mental health or addiction, um, we're kind of blind to how we react to others. And it's just good to notice how we do re um, react to others and what may be a problem. And we can actually sit down and think about it. So I love how you mentioned that. So how was the rest of your, like into your 16, 17, 18, finishing school? How, how, how did that turn out for you? Um, so when I was around 16, um, I, I was able to um, get my credits and stuff and I was able to finish high school. Um, my, my parents finally, my mom kept threatening divorce, but she wasn't like going through with it. She finally went through with it when I was 18, I believe. Um, and she moved me and my sister into a little town home. And, you know, she, my mom always had a really good job. So um, you know, she was able to support us. I mean, we were by no means rich, but I mean, she's, she had that job for a long, long, long time and, you know, was able to, um, support me and my sister. So we moved into the town home and, you know, my dad was like, just crazy. I mean, he would just literally walk in the house, like no boundaries. He would just walk in the house and like, take my mom's beer like out of her fridge. It was just really strange, you know, just the lack of boundaries. It was just wild, you know, just completely wild. And, um, you know, I, I did graduate um, and my mom did get the divorce finalized and, and everything. And I, my dad kept the house. Um, and then I had moved to Arizona after I had graduated. And I moved with a, with my high school boyfriend, which was not a good idea. <laughs> I was an 18 year old that thought I knew what I needed in life, I guess. And I moved with him and that did not work out at all. I moved back home. Um, I was living with my mom and I started to have issues with uh, benzos. I, I started to have some really bad issues with benzos. Um, you know, I was very, very, very dependent on them and addicted to them. You know, my mom kicked me out of my house or out of her house. And um, I was extremely distraught at this time. And this was around when I was 19. Um, and I begged her not to kick me out, but she um, was very adamant about kicking me out. I told her I did not want to live with my dad. At the time, I didn't have enough money, like, to support myself. You know, I was just, um, I was just barely starting my career as a dog groomer. So I wasn't making, like, anything. And there was no way I was going to be able to support myself. So she basically was like, no, you need to go live with your dad. Like, go to your, you know, go live with your dad. You know, my abuser. <laughs> and so she kicked me out. And, well, before she kicked me out, I actually ended up getting 5150 
Um, I'm not sure. If, do you know what that is? No. What's uh, what's that? So 5150 is um, where you are deemed a danger to yourself or others, and you are put in a psychiatric hospital for 72 hours for a hold. And so um, I had told somebody during this time when my mom told me that she did not want me in her house anymore because she was kicking me out and making me go live with my dad that I was going to kill myself. And, um, I told somebody and, um, said that basically I'm doing it and there's nothing you can do to stop me. And, um, the police showed up and hauled me away, took me to the hospital and I was locked in a psychiatric unit. Yeah. You had a lot going on around that period. How how was that experience in the psychiatric unit? Oh, it was, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Um, you know, it. I, I understand why it happened. Um, you know, because obviously I was a danger to myself. Um, but it was it was very very traumatizing. You know, I they just you know doped me up more on on anti anxiety meds and. Um, you know, my mom just really wasn't very supportive and her and my dad came to see me one time, um, during that stay there. And I just remember my dad, like, I mean, I was really out of it on anti-anxiety meds, but I just remember my dad was there drunk and my mom was just really just not like, like connected to reality, if that makes sense. Like she didn't really understand the gravity of the situation. Um, and if I can backtrack a little bit during my time in the ICU, when I was 15, uh, with my suicide attempt, um, my dad never came to see me. And so my mom asked him if he was going to come and, and see me at the hospital. And he said, no, and that he was not going to see me. And so, yeah, so I forgot to actually mention that. Um, So she was the only one that was there with me. Once I was released, he had basically nothing to say. But anyway, after um, I was released out of the psychiatric unit, um, when I was 19, after my 5150 hold, you know, I had to go live with my dad. And he was just the same drunk, um, terrible person that he always was. And I just kept, you know, numbing myself with the anti-anxiety meds with the Xanax and stuff like that, because I didn't want to be there. So, yeah, that's totally understandable. Um, and how long did you start your father's for? How long was, did that last? Um, I think I was there for, let's see, I got 19, 20. I think I was there for about six or eight months. I wasn't there very long. I had met my, I I had met somebody, my current husband now. I had met him at the time and, um, you know, he and I just clicked very quickly and um, I got into a relationship with him and I ended up moving in with him. I kind of felt like he saved me from that situation. And when you, you mentioned benzos, uh, were you seeing a doctor? Did they prescribe the benzos or the anti-anxiety drugs for you? How, yes. How'd you, get, how'd you get onto those? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, um, that's how I first got onto them. Um, I was seeing a doctor 
and I was um, taking them. I, they stopped prescribing them to me. And then I actually ended up going to the streets to get them. So I guess that is addiction. You know, I, I don't know. I always call it dependence. You know, I've always said, oh, I've been a dependent on, anti, you know, anti-anxiety meds and Xanax. Like I had a really hard time stopping Xanax, but yeah, once I got to the point where I was actually buying them off of the streets, uh, yeah, that's kind of addiction. So, but yeah, I, you know, it started off with me like getting prescribed them and then I wasn't able to like maintain it. And so I had to get them from the, from the streets and I regret that. Were you seeing like a a psychologist or a psychiatrist during this journey or is this like your local, local doctor? Um, I was seeing mostly just a doctor, like a family doctor, but yeah, I, um, I had seen, I've seen many psychiatrists, um, over, you know, my life um you know it started when i was a teenager i my mom kept taking me to psychiatrists um and you know they really didn't do much for me um they really didn't help me and um you know of course when i was in the hospital i seen psychiatrists and um you know they also didn't really help me but again it was because i wasn't really getting to the reason why I was the, you know, mentally ill. And I wasn't, I wasn't actually getting the correct diagnosis either. Like it, it took me till I was 27 to get the correct diagnosis of PTSD. And once I got the diagnosis, um, I, everything made sense. I was like, Oh, that's why I, you know, was eating Xanax like candy. And that's why I couldn't handle being in my own skin. And, you know, I would drink myself into an oblivion when I, before I was even legal age to do it, you know, I was 19 when I was doing this. So yeah. once I got the correct yeah. diagnosis, everything made sense. Yeah. It, ma- it makes it a lot easier. And then you can, um, you can do some research and then you can uh, look at what therapy may be the best suited for yourself. So yeah, it right. like, m- makes a huge difference. So you mentioned drinking and taking Xanax. Was that your way of self-medicating, treating yourself? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, I didn't really, um, I didn't really realize that I was, you know, repressing so many painful memories and trauma. Um, it took me a long time to actually realize how traumatized I truly was. Um, again, and I, I, I do thank my parents for that because both of them had taught me from a very young age that I don't talk about my feelings. Um, you know, I, I don't have, basically, I, my feelings don't have any value my opinions don't have any value. So I think that my brain just got to the point where it, it thought, well, I can't talk about this. And so it just started repressing it. And so I started using substances to kind of try to, you know, make myself feel normal. I mean, it wasn't even like I was chasing a high or anything like it honestly was just to feel normal because I was on constant alert And once I was able to, you know, drink or take anti-anxiety medication, 
I was able to like feel somewhat normal. I was able to feel somewhat peaceful. I was in a similar boat to you with the um, emotions and I found it really difficult to express them and using yeah. drugs or alcohol, it made it a lot easier. And, um, and we all know how that kind of turns out, not so good. So how, how did you go with your new partner? Did you find it hard to open up or he was kind of like your, your soulmate and you could easily open up? Um, you know, he, me and him clicked really, really well. Um, you know, we've had our struggles, um, and everything, but, um, it did take me a long time to really, truly up, open up to him. Um, you know, it took me a long time to open up to myself. So, you know, I, I couldn't really open up with him either, you know, until I was able to open up to myself and truly admit to, you know, the trauma that I had and, um, you know, I feel like I'm just starting to live um, genuinely. I feel like I'm just getting to the point where I'm living genuinely. You know, I haven't drank in, you know, and I don't really think I, I, I had an issue as much with drinking as I, as I did when I was really young. But I mean, I haven't had a drink in almost 18 months, you know, so I've, I don't, I don't self-medicate anymore. Um, you know, and that's a huge thing to me because I'm like, I have to feel my feelings yep. and as, sure. as much as, as painful as they are, I'm feeling them. Awesome. I love that. How did you go getting off those anti-anxiety drugs or did you still take them or did you come completely off them? Um, you know, I, uh, my doctor that prescribed or my doctor that diagnosed me with PTSD um, she did prescribe me, um, some anti-anxiety meds, um, but it was, you know, for emergencies only. And, um, that's how I use them. Um, I haven't taken, I don't even remember the last time I took one, to be honest, um, just because it's been so long, but you know, she, she did prescribe them to me just in case I needed them, but it's basically to just keep me out of um, the hospital so that I don't run to the hospital in a panic attack <laughs> the way I have done in the past. So it's kind of one of those things where I've had to learn, you know, that they're only for emergencies. They are not for daily maintenance. You know, they're not for, you know, just when I'm having a bad day or, you know, like they're for emergencies only. So I still am, I have a prescription of them, but I mean, I use them so rarely that I don't even remember the last time I took one. So yeah. And alcohol. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, so so with the panic attacks, they were related to your PTSD. Um, an often thing for you during your your twenties. Yes. Um, you know, I I had panic attacks from the time I was about seven years old. Um, but yeah, they got really bad once I got into my twenties. Um, you know, and I just felt that the only way I could feel normal was taking, you know, the anxiety meds, um, you know, and I just felt that that was the only way that I could live inside of my body comfortably <laughs> was by taking these medications. And it was so counterproductive because I had such a hard time getting off of them that it was like, oh my gosh, you know, and I get to the point where I was like, oh, I'm not taking these anymore. I'm never taking these again, you know, because I would start taking them every day you know, and I'd start getting super dependent on them. And then when I would try and come off them, it was like, I was in a living hell, 
because my anxiety, you know, the withdrawals and stuff like that were so bad that I was like, oh my gosh, this is just like a double-edged sword. You know, I, I can't take these medications and feel normal because they make me feel worse. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I found just trying to get off antidepressants, like, um, it was just as hard with the withdrawals with the, um, coming off meth, like, um, yeah, you don't realize how, um, how dependent your brain and your body comes on them. So yeah, that's, that's fantastic that you just use them for emergencies. And, and around that time when you, um, met your boyfriend and you moved in together, I'm assuming. Um, it was, it was pretty fast. Um, you know, I, you know, he was like my knight in shining armor. You know what I mean? I was like, he's getting me out of here. So, you know, and I didn't realize it at the time. I mean, obviously now I do. Now I do realize that, oh, you know, he, you know, I felt that he saved me from that situation because I, you know, I needed to get away from my dad. And, um, you know, he, I just, ha I started the relationship with him and it, it moved very, pretty quickly. I mean, um, you know, we were engaged, um, and then after, I think almost a year of being together, um, I got pregnant and then we had our first child and then, um, we got married when she was around eight months old. And then I had my second, which was two years ago. Mental health. Did that kind of stabilize once you got married and settled and had the kids, you kind of or was it kind of up and down a bit? Um, you know, it, it's, it was definitely up and down. Um, you know, especially after I had my, when I had my first daughter, I had postpartum pretty bad. Um, you know, and I really struggled with that. I, I was having a hard time with the anxiety meds again and getting off of them. It was really, really difficult for me. Um, you know, my, Oh my gosh. I, I tried to cut my dad out actually of my life at that time because he came in the delivering room drunk. And my firstborn was in the ICU because she, um, aspirated and they had to like do CPR on her. And he came in and was like drunk, like asking where she was. And I was like, Oh my hell. Oh my gosh. I can't believe this is happening. You know what I mean? And so it was just like, so I told him nicely to leave. I was like, Kate, I really need you to leave. Like, this is just getting yeah. ridiculous. So I, I tried cutting him out after that. I actually really tried cutting him out of my life. Um, you know, I was convinced at that point that he was like a sociopath. And I, I know he was, um, you know, just with what he put me and my sister through. But that was just like, I just couldn't take anymore. And I really tried to cut him out. And my mom was just like, oh my gosh, she was like allowing him to see my child, like when I wasn't home, like when she'd be watching her and oh, wow. yeah. And they were divorced at the time, but she was still like enabling him. Like yeah. I remember coming home one time and I think I was at the doctor's office or something and I was driving home and I seen him in his car, like coming from my parking lot. And I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe they're allowing like she's allowing him to see my daughter when I'm trying to cut him out of my life, you know? So like, she made it very hard for me to cut him out of my life. And, you know, when I finally was able to, when I finally, finally was able to, um, 
she she told me because he was doing the same thing again he was reaching out to her saying she's not talking to me she's not talking to me um you need to have her talk to me and you know just getting in under my mom's skin and I went over to her house and she was like you need to talk to your dad and I just looked at her and I said and she was like he's bothering me you need to talk to your dad and I just looked at her and I said what part of that is my problem yeah and that was the very that was the very first time I remember actually sticking up to myself with my mom just looking at her and being like no this is my boundary and I'm slamming it down. Like, this is not for you to decide. I am not talking to my dad. I don't care if he's bothering you. He is a horrible, horrible human. Yep. And I, I don't want him around my kids. Yeah, no, that's fantastic that you set up boundaries and even it's family or not, you know, no, no, no family is always perfect. Just having that boundary and um, what you will tolerate and what you won't tolerate can mm-hmm. is amazing what it'll do to your mental health and your stability. So yeah, fantastic. You've been diagnosed with the PTSD recently in the last few years. Yes, I, I was diagnosed. Um, I was diagnosed right after my dad died. So I was... I was actually 28 when I got diagnosed. So, um, right after my dad died, um, you know, I went into my doctor and kind of told her about, you know, I, I didn't go into detail, but I did tell her about my past. And, um, I told her that my dad died. Um, and you know, she was very sympathetic towards me. And I was like, well, I was like, don't feel too bad, you know, cause he literally wasn't a great person and kind of told her a little bit about, you know, I, I suffered some severe abuse and, you know, stuff like that. And, um, that's when I got diagnosed with the, with PTSD and it was really eye opening for me. Um, I was, you know, I was kind of in denial actually at first about it. And I was like, Oh no, like I don't have PTSD, you know, like that's just something that war veterans get, you know? And I, I mean, you know, it's the stereotypical PTSD, you know, but, um, I I was, I had a hard time kind of accepting it, you know, and then once I did, I was like, yes, you know, you know, I I have to accept this. It's not only just accepting the diagnosis. It doesn't make me weak. It's literally just validating what I had been through in my life. It's like when I got diagnosed with bipolar, I was a bit embarrassed at first and then, you know, I didn't want to admit to it, but uh, once you do accept it, you don't have to become that label, but you can make some changes in your life. So what changes did you do when once you found out you had that PTSD? Did you start going to therapy or how did you cope and start making progress to overcome it? So um, actually, it, I mean, it was a really wild ride. <laughs> um, you know, once I got the diagnosis, uh, diagnosis of PTSD, um, I had been on a medication called duloxetine um, for about four years. Um, and um, I had noticed that, especially after my dad died, it's, it really stopped working for me. I tried to, I, I went to my doctor and I switched medication and that was absolutely a mess. Um, I, I, my mental health really, really went completely downhill. Um, after that, I tried switching the meds and, um, I told my doctor, I said, this, um, new medication is absolutely not working for me. Um, you know, can I just taper off of it? And she was like, yeah, that's fine. So I tapered with her. Um, and then a few months after that, um, I actually ended up in the hospital again. 
um, because uh, it was it, it was completely voluntary. Um, I wasn't fifty one fifty that time. Um, I, I I spoke up and and said that I had had a suicide plan, and that I was going to do it and I was going to go through with it if I wasn't taken to the hospital. And so um, I was taken to the hospital. They put me back on duloxetine. And that was really, it was a really scary time in my life. Um, you know, I, I was there for about five days um, and then I was released. And, you know, the duloxetine still was not working. Um, I, I was still extremely anxious. It was kind of like an agitated state where I was like an agitated, like anxious, like depressed kind of, you know, it was just really just on edge at all times. Um, and then I, you know, went back to my doctor, kind of worked with her, um, lowered it a little bit to see if that would help my anxiety. Um, and then just kind of, you know, tried, tried to keep going from there. You know, I just, you know, I, I got into, uh, I got into like some therapy, um, you know, I, I mean, and that's just been recently, you know, I, I just, I started to look up what therapy would work for me. Um, you know, cause I, I just felt like the, the drugs weren't really helping me. I, I felt like my problem was, was deeper than that. You know, obviously it was. Um, and then, you know, I actually, I think last month, about six weeks ago, um, I tapered off of the duloxetine. Um, you know, again, I felt it wasn't working, um, you know, and I didn't want to try and find another, you know, medication to try and get on and, you know, have all the side effects and stuff like that. Like, I'm definitely, I don't want to say that I'm anti-med because I'm not. And I know that some people really need it. Um, getting off of the medication um, is when I started doing the EMDR therapy, you know, so I, I did start that about a month ago, just because um, I felt that I needed that specific therapy to um, address my PTSD, you know, yeah. so yeah. that I could yeah. try and process this trauma. I think sometimes the medication is a band-aid fix for a lot of people, for a lot of us. And Oh, um, absolutely. So they, they definitely do have their place, but I think a lot of times it's just easier just to prescribe a pill and off we go. So how you, right, been, yeah. how you been finding the therapy? Um, you know, it's been, it's been really good. Um, you know, I being off of, you know, the medication has been, it's, it's been rough. You know, I won't lie. It's definitely, it has been very rough being off of medication. Um, but you know, I, uh, feel that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I feel that, you know, getting off the medication and like you said, it, as a band aid because that's literally what I felt it was doing for me was just kind of, kind of putting a band aid on a gunshot wound. You know what I mean? Just kind of, you know, and it's like, I've really got to get this therapy, you know, and really get down to where this is stemming from, you know, from, you know, my trauma and stuff like that. So, I mean, and it's been really, really great. And I'm doing, I'm doing like a mix of CBT. I, I think it's CBT um, and EMDR, you know, so it's not just strictly EMDR. It is um, talk therapy as well. 
that I'm doing yeah. with him. So yeah, CBT, uh, CBT is really good for um, actually disengaging your conscious mind and asking yourself questions and giving yourself options or different way of thinking. So I really enjoy that as well. And just mentioning about your father and sorry that he passed away. Sorry to hear that. Um, how did you cope with that? What, what type of feelings were brought up and how do you feel about it today? Um, yeah, the death of my father was really um, very, very traumatic for me. Um, you know, I was actually the one that had to tell um, my sister and my mom, um, you know, and so that was that was extremely hard on me. Um, I never thought that I would have to look my mom in the face and tell her that my dad died. Um, you know, and also my sister, I mean, they live two hours away from me, so it was over FaceTime, but I mean, still, you know, the extent of it was still very traumatizing to me, um, to have to take on that responsibility, um, and, and tell them, you know, that that had happened. Um, you know, and, um, it, it, it affected me very, very, you know, tremendously. And, and it still is affecting me, you know, at the time when he did die, um, I was extremely angry, extremely angry, like anger. I had never felt in my entire life. I was so, so angry because I knew that my sister and I were never going to get justice the way that we wanted and so that was extremely hard for me. And I had so much anger and I still struggle with the anger, but not nearly as much as I, as I used to, um, you know, I just, I had a lot of anger. I started to get a lot of resentment towards my mother, um, you know, for kind of allowing the abuse or, you know, dismissing the abuse or, you know, not taking the abuse seriously, you know, and it just, it made me so mad, um, you know, and I didn't even want to go to his funeral. And the only reason why I went was because my sister told me that she didn't want to be there alone. And that was literally the only reason that I went was to be there to support my little sister. And, you know, I wanted to yell and just, Oh my gosh. Like, I know it sounds bad and I don't know if I can say this, but I wanted to flip the casket. Like when I seen him, oh, yeah, cause yeah. I was so mad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's fair enough. That's yeah. That's how you felt. So yeah, that's, <laughs> so how, how are you coping there? Are you still feeling anger towards him or you kind of, what tools are you using to calm that anger down now and trying to process it a bit uh, easier? Yeah. So now it's, it's a lot of acceptance that I've had to, that I've had to do kind of accept my parents for what they were, um, kind of accept the situation for what it was as painful as it was. Um, I've had to learn that, you know, accepting it is not making it okay, but accepting it is just doing what you need to do in order to move on from the situation. And so, you know, I had, I struggled a lot with, you know, my relationship with my mom after my dad's death. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I think she was in denial with how bad the abuse was. And then once I actually came out and said certain words to her, she kind of like lost it and, and was like crying and was like, 
you know, oh, my whole life makes sense. And I remember her saying that and I was like, your whole life makes sense. Well, yeah, because you were living in denial your whole life. And now I just literally slapped you in the face and now you're having to deal with it, you know? So it's like, uh, it was just, and I've had to kind of accept the fact that I was never protected as a child. And, you know, the tools that I have are me protecting myself, me protecting my younger self as a child, you know, and I know that there's a lot of people, um, especially with PTSD that go through that. um, And they use that kind of tool where, you know, they go back to the memory and then they, as adults are actually, there protecting their younger self, you know, and I, that's actually been pretty beneficial to me. Yeah, that's like a, a timeline therapy when you go back and uh, yeah, it's quite um, quite relieving when you actually experience that and um, it's very powerful. So I'm glad that you've done it or doing it. How's your relationship now with your mother? Um, she, well, it's, it's distant. Um, you know, I'm, I am keeping uh, my distance from her. Um, I don't, I don't like how I feel around her. Um, you know, I get very, my, my symptoms start coming back really bad. Um, you know, and the anger starts, you know, and I, I notice that when I'm around her, I start getting like, I start getting panicked. I start getting angry. I start getting like, oh, you know, I just start feeling all these feelings, you know, and I worked with, I've been working with my therapist on that. And I told him about these feelings that I've had. And he said, for now, we're going to need you to keep your distance until we're able to kind of work out this trauma and then kind of see how you feel from there. Um, so right now I'm keeping a distance and I think it's really helping, you know, I, it's definitely helped me realize some stuff, you know, and I I will always love my mom, you know, I will always love my mom, but I have to accept her for the way she is, you know, and I've kind of had to learn that she's, she was kind of like an immature parent, like very immature, you know, um, you know, she had me when she was 18 And I mean, I'm not excusing it, but it's kind of like one of those things that I've just kind of realized, well, you know, I need to accept it. You know, I need to accept the way she is. I'll always love her, but she just, you know, she always tried to be like my buddy instead of my mom. You know, she tried to, you know, she was always having me like go out and drink with her, you know, when I was younger and stuff like that. And I don't drink anymore, but um, like, especially when I was like, you know, my young early twenties, you know, she always wanted to go out drinking. She always wanted to go out partying, had a lot of realizing to do where I'm like, huh, that's not really a thing. I feel this is just my opinion (laughs) that a mother should be doing with their daughter. You know, like I, I don't think that that's appropriate. Like I needed a mother, like I didn't need a friend, you know? Definitely. Definitely. You've, you've come so far. You've had a uh, an eventful childhood, uh, traumatic, and you've come so far. Looking back, um, you, you're happily married now with a family of your own, which is beautiful. So looking back, what advice would you give to someone that may be struggling like you were? Um, I definitely would say the number one thing is validate your feelings and validate your truth because your truth is the truth. You know, your experiences with what happened to you is valid just because your parent or you know your mom or your dad tells you that it didn't happen that way or that it wasn't that bad or they try and you know minimize things um does not it 
absolutely does not mean that you should push your feelings away and that you should also learn to dismiss your feelings because that's a lot of the times what causes more issues for you in the long run is because you've basically learned that doesn't matter. My feelings don't matter. You know, I'm just going to push them away because they're not valid anyway. So speaking your truth and validating your feelings are extremely important. And also, um, you know, I know that as a mother myself, you know, if, if you have severe trauma in your childhood, please, 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 please go to therapy. Like, please go to therapy, you know, not just for yourself, but for your family, your kids, you know, it is extremely important. I wrong, you know, to ever lay your hands on your kids, unless it's a hug, you know, violence breeds violence. And, you know, I, I, I know there's people that think that discipline is just, you know, spanking their kid or, or whatever. Um, you know, and that is absolutely not the case, you know, because spanking always leads to more intense forms of abuse and it's not right. And it's not okay. Um, you know, so I, I really, really, really advise people to look at the science on what corporal punishment for kids does to their minds, because it is, it's been proven scientifically that if you lay your hands on your kids and if you hit your kids, they are going to suffer. It's very, very apparent, you know, and it's, it's in the literature, you know, spanking is not okay. You know, hitting your kids is not okay. And violence does breed violence. So much uh, great information in that. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you um, sharing that for our listeners. Well, it, our time is up today, Brittany. It was a pleasure to meet you and uh, hear your story. Well, it'd be great to catch up down the track and see how you're progressing. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.